0: Welcome, Walnut Hill, to those of you online. So glad you could join us. And also in Milford, Beth, I'm sorry, Bethel, of course, Bethel, you're here with me. Waterbury and the Valley. Um, we've been in a series through the book of Proverbs called Walking Wisely, really practical steps as to how we live this life for Christ, how we live in Jesus. You know, today I want to just kind of get us prepared for what I want to do today by saying it's good to laugh, right? We've got a lot of things that we can cry about, a lot of challenges that are all around us, but it 's also really good to laugh. And for those of you who may be you know a little bit uh, averse to laughter, you know there's this phenomenon that, that I know of where the mouth moves upwards at the corners, so maybe maybe just a smile. You know if, if a laugh is too much, how about today let's smile let 's enjoy ourselves. It's, it's good to laugh and to smile in church in the house of God because The Lord has a sense of humor, and um, especially, he really has a sense of humor, especially when it's you know jokes about your brother. The Lord loves those, he loves those. They make him happy. I wanna read verse 27 real quickly one more time. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. And friends, I just wanna ask you, don't I deserve good for my brother who has it in the power to help me? Is that too much to ask? Well, I'd like to know what you think. Is that too much to ask? You guys like Brian too much, that's clear. <laughs> well, I, wanted you to, I want you to know that I was actually scheduled to preach last weekend on the topic of, can you remember? Generosity, giving, yes. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems that little brother Brian goes to the bullpen every time that topic comes up and calls up Craig to preach on the top of ge- topic of generosity, which is every pastor's favorite topic to preach on. So I did the, what I thought was the wise thing and I scheduled a vacation for last weekend. <laughs> and Brian did a really wonderful job, I thought, on the topic. Um, but there's a little bit of a problem because the New Milford campus right now who is watching this is saying, but wait a minute, Craig, you were in our campus last weekend. And um, that's because I canceled the, the, um, the vacation after he scheduled me for this weekend. Um, well, how would you expect me to prepare for a sermon if I, if I was on vacation? You know, simple explanation there. So you might ask, how is this team leadership model really working? You know, is is this Adam, Brian, and Craig? You know, ABC. Is it really as easy as one, two, three? <laughs> well, I want to be straight with you today. I, it's not always as easy as one, two, three. But we are in harmony. Kind of like, you know, Do-Re-Mi, A-B-C, one, two, three, Adam, Brian, and me, yeah. We are in sync. We're in sync. But I decided that I wasn't going to sing one of their songs. I did think about it, and I said bye, Bye bye-bye to that idea. So wait a minute. It's time to get serious. We're in church, people. Let's get serious now. Today we're talking about giving our time, stewardship, about serving one another. That second verse in 27, 28 of Proverbs chapter three is if you can help your brother or help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. And Brian did set the table really well last week in talking about generosity. You know, what makes Christians the most generous people in the world? And they are with their money, with their time. I think it's because when we get down to it, at the heart of it is that we know that nothing is our own. When believers look into their hearts and look into the word, look into our lives, we see that nothing is our own. Everything, even our, even our very lives, are a gift from God, aren't they? Our talents, our strengths, even our personalities and our experiences, they, all, they are all a part of what God has done to make us who we are. And they're also a part of his purposes for our lives. And his purpose is to use us for the sake of his kingdom. You may know the, the scripture in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, where Jesus illustrates what it means to be a faithful servant steward. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a couple of selected verses but, and just tell you the story again, if you just to jog your memory. It starts out in verse 14, and it reads this way. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And the story goes on to say that he gave five bags of silver to one, two to another, and one to another. And he did this in proportion to their abilities, in proportion to what they could handle. So the first two servants, they took that, those, that ba- those bags and they, they doubled their owner's money. And the third servant buried it. Do you remember the story? Then the master returns and he asks them, asks them to give an account, give an account of what you've done while I was away. And the first two report back their successes. And here's the response of that master. The master was full of praise. This is verse 21. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. But then there's the third one, this third servant. And he reports what he did, burying that one bag in the ground, And this is what the the response of the master is to that servant who buried. Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Here's what I want to draw out of this. There's much that we could draw out of this passage, but just quickly, he doesn't need us. You know that the Lord doesn't need us but he chooses to invite us into his kingdom mission. And that's good news for us. It means that we've got purpose. As we walk this planet for whatever, however many years he gives us, we have purpose. This is a good thing. Secondly, we are responsible for what he gives. That's what it means to be a steward, a good steward. We're entrusted with something that we are responsible to then do something with. Each of us has been given certain talents, gifts, strengths, experiences to use for the sake of his kingdom. The third principle I think that we see here is the principle of risk and invest. When the master says, go ahead, take a risk with what I've given you, we're supposed to do it without fear. And also, our investment in kingdom endeavors and in the children of God will result in exciting returns. That's what the Lord is doing with this parable to tell us that, that, is, that that's the case. There's no such thing as a down market in God's kingdom, praise the Lord. When we invest what he's given us, the returns are awesome. And then finally, there's this concept that if we don't use it, we're gonna lose it. It's harsh, but it's true. I think some of us fall into the trap of thinking that if we use up everything God, God has given to us, it'll be gone but that concept is not in scripture at all. In fact, our master has an unlimited store, and when we use it, he rewards us with more opportunities, more people to impact, more kingdom excitement in our lives. Isn't that good news? I wanted to start there, just to remind us today of what it means to be a good steward. There's something else I wanna share. I wanna share a journey of Jesus with his disciples. If you know the country of Israel, you know that the very far north in Jesus' time was Caesarea Philippi, right up, right now, currently on the Syrian border. And Jesus would walk with his disciples all over Israel. And someday I hope you'll consider coming with myself and Pastor Clay Norman to Israel to experience that. We have another trip coming up in June 2023. Plan for it, I want to tell you, it will change the way that you read scripture. It It will enhance your spiritual walk. We love taking people to Israel. And we go to Caesarea Philippi as a group, and it's a wonderful place to start a journey. Jesus started in the north. This is the country of Israel, you know, the kind of the beautiful, mountainous countryside of Israel. And he starts out with the with the disciples, and his plan is to go all the way down to Jerusalem, which is a long walk, but they're gonna do it over the course of time. Now Jesus not only speaks parables like the one we just looked at, the, the parable of the talents, as it's called, but he also he lives them out. He lives them out for the disciples to see and for us to take something from. So it says, on the way to the cross, Jesus shows the disciples what it means to be a leader, a servant leader at that. And as he starts in Caesarea Philippi in the north, he asks his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? And who responds? Do you remember? Of course it's Peter he's quick to respond but he gets it right here he says you are the Messiah the son of the living God Jesus replied you are blessed Simon son of John because my father in heaven has revealed this to you you, d- you did not learn this from any human being and this is the highlight of the whole story of the disciples response to Jesus because the rest of the way to Jerusalem shows how little they understood See, they were, all, they were excited about Jesus being the conquering king in the line of David. They'd read those scriptures in the Old Testament. They liked those, because it meant something pretty good for them as disciples. If Jesus was going down to Jerusalem to take over and conquer, and be the conquering king like David, they were gonna have a place around his table. They liked that. What they didn't get in the moment was Jesus was also the suffering servant. Think about Isaiah 53 and other passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus, the suffering servant. So the same man, Peter, who had declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, also rebuked him because Jesus was insisting that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And then Jesus says these words, get away from me Satan, you are are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Why does he say this? It's because Peter was literally siding with Satan who also didn't want to see Jesus go to the cross because what did Jesus going to the cross mean? It meant salvation and eternal life for all those who trusted in him. This was something the, the evil one did not want to see happen. So in this moment, Peter aligns with the enemy. But it even gets worse, unfortunately, because from Caesarea Philippi, they travel south down to the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, and an argument breaks out. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now remember, these disciples are believing Jesus is going to Jerusalem as the conquering king not the suffering servant. So they are jockeying for position. They're taking a page out of the leadership they've seen all around them, and unfortunately, some of their own historical leadership of Israel. They believed to lead means to be in first place. So to this question, who is the greatest, Jesus starts starts talking about children, about children. We can't think about children in the way we think about them in our American culture because in that culture, children had no status. They weren't precious in the way that we think of children as precious. They had no power. They had no rights or privileges. But what Jesus is saying is children are not consumers like the disciples were. They're not about rank or greatness, are they? We know this to be true today. Children are intimacy-driven, not status-driven. So Jesus says to those disciples, that's the heart change that you need to take place inside of you. Your hearts are proud. Your hearts are chronically status-seeking. You need them to be replaced with the no-status heart of a child who simply wants to know Jesus, wants to be with Jesus, wants to love and be loved by Jesus. Jesus. That's what he wants to see happen in the disciples' hearts. And it would happen. Just not maybe in the timing Jesus had hoped. It gets even worse, if you can believe it, on the road down to Jerusalem, when Salome, the mother of James and John, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and asks where her two sons might sit when Jesus comes to power. She says, can't they sit on your left and your right? Now remember, these are... These now are Jesus' first cousins. So they're thinking, we're part of the family. We must have a place in this whole thing, right? This could be the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be be the most important people sitting in the most important seats. And I'm sure they're worried that Peter already has one of those seats locked up. Now, the response of of the disciples is really telling as well because it's not graceful correction Like, oh, Zebedee boys, (laughs) you need to understand what Jesus is going to do right now. It's okay, calm down here, it's going to be okay. No, they were actually angry because their mothers were not along to make a case for their greatness. What's the point here? Jesus' journey to Jerusalem was first to the cross, not to the throne. Now, he's on the throne now. And... We will experience the fullness of him on the throne when he comes again. But kingdom leadership, friends, is not about status. It's about service. His kingdom community will be led by those with hearts like children, those who are stewards, those who are servants. So from Capernaum, just north of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and the disciples would eventually end their journey in Jerusalem where he would do some amazing things. He washed their feet. One of the most menial tasks. Wasn't even, no one even did it when the disciples came into the, to the room for that Last Supper, but Jesus did. And then he would go and die between two common criminals. And what the disciples would not understand in that moment until later was that the cross, this ultimate act of selflessness, and humility was the most powerful act in history. Praise the Lord we know that today. Mark ten forty-five reads, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. By the Spirit, of, by the Spirit Jesus says to us, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. These are greater works of service, of humility, of investment in others. Great promise that he gives to us. So what power do we have to actually help? Let's try to get as practical as we can today. Firstly, serving is not convenient, is it? There's nothing convenient about it. And you may have a very good reason that you are not able to be in person and serving, but convenience shouldn't be one of those reasons. If you're online and at a distance, I would encourage you, find a church or a ministry that you can serve in. If you're in Bethel, you're in Derby, the Valley or New Milford, I just wanna tell you, we need you when it comes to serving. Our world may be moving away from in-person interaction, but our church is not, We we can't afford to because we, have a, we actually have a bit of a crisis after two years of pandemic. Here's the, here's the thing I want you to know. Our yellow flower count, which is the, the number of people who are coming to Jesus year to year, who are giving their lives, surrendering their life to Jesus, we, we mark it by a yellow flower. That's down 50% in the last two years compared to years previous. And the most telling stat in that is that children's ministry actual attendance in children's ministry has been down 40%, although it's growing again. And on average every year, 40% of our yellow flowers come from children's ministry. Just, just let your mind wrap around that for a second. In every campus, they are, they are struggling to man every room and be able to provide for kids in every campus. Sometimes we think, you may think, here in Bethel, well, there's so many of us, this shouldn't be a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem in every campus. And I share this to say, the crisis is, we're, our mission is to see people come to know Jesus and grow in him. And we certainly want to serve our own children, that they might meet the Lord and live a life for Christ. We can't let this stand, I don't believe. But it's not just in children's ministry. Every area is desperate for volunteers, for people who want to come and serve, who want to just learn something or grow in some way or give some gifts that they already have. And I want to just challenge you right now before I finish, as as I'm continuing, just to consider service and consider even taking a a, a screenshot of this uh, QR code that's going to come up That's going to give you the information on how to serve, how to get information from us, how to sign up, how to get involved. I want to encourage you, consider it. The Lord wants to do this in and through you. He wants to use you. He wants to see these numbers turned around. We want to see many, many more young people, adults come to know Jesus, become a yellow flower. We want to celebrate that as time goes on. So what excuses sometimes hold us back? I use, I bring that up because the the passage says, kind of gives an excuse. You might put it off till tomorrow. So I thought I'd find a few funny excuses about not going to work. And it's from the Reader's Digest, so you know it has to be true. These are apparently real excuses that people have given for why they didn't show up at work. Are you ready? This is the moment for the smiles to start to really crack onto our faces this morning. Let's have some fun with these. This person said, I ate cat food instead of tuna and was deathly ill. Now my question to you is at what point after opening the can of cat food and starting to eat it, did this person stop eating that cat food? I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the pharmacy and couldn't get out. I mean, are you still stuck there? I mean, did it do damage to your arm? My false teeth flew out the window while driving down the highway. And to this one I say, Okay, stay home, just stay home, that's okay. (laughs) Someone refused to come to work because his fish was unwell. And I don't know, here's what I picture. I picture a tiny thermometer in the mouth of a goldfish. Sorry boss, Goldie's got a fever. I mean, what could I do? I gotta stay home and nurse him. Bats got into my hair. There's a few questions that come up here for me. I don't know, number one, multiple bats got in your hair? And are they still there in your hair? I was bitten by a duck, not a dog, a duck. I'd play this one out. I'd, want to, I'd ask questions, I want to hear more about this story because you know it's gonna get funnier and more ridiculous as someone explains the duck bite. I got cornered by a moose. A moose. Now, why do so many of these feature creative stories that include a variety of wild animals? I, I, I guess they think, These are so, who's gonna argue with me? These are so ridiculous that how could you argue with me? Now this one is an interesting one. My child stuck a mint up his nose and had to go to the ER to get it out. This one I buy. Because I have three kids and two of them, two of the three got stuff stuck in their noses over time. And An eraser with one and wait for it, the other one, a pistachio. I still don't know if it was just missing the mouth and going into the nose. I don't know how it happened but the first time we took my child to, our, our doc, you know, to Dr. Saatchi, who some of you may know, and I watched closely how she got it out of the nose of this child. I'm not, notice I'm not saying he or she. I'm trying to protect my, my children here. But I learned from that first one, and I got the pistachio out myself. I felt very proud of myself. The, the last one that you hear often is, I had a bad hair day. Now, I got to tell you, I get this one. If you see this photo here, you're gonna see what I mean. I know I keep going back to the well in this photo, but it's just too good not to. In this photo, you're gonna see three of the four Maoris all had really bad hair days on church directory picture day. And we should have stayed home. But my real question is, what's the deal with Ray? Didn't he get the memo to do something weird with his hair that day? Every, he always looks okay with his hair. Nice job, Ray. I appreciate that. But friends, there must be urgency. You can take that picture down. (laughs) It's enough of that. I think that one's gonna go back in the archives. There must be urgency. We can't say if our neighbor needs help, and again, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone that the Lord brings into our presence that we have the opportunity to love and help. We can't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. It's just an excuse, isn't it? There's urgency to serve in the kingdom. And it's not all bad news at Walnut Hill, don't get me wrong, I wanna share a couple real short stories about some really good news when it comes to serving, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. But um, I was recently talking to Craig Horn, who oversees our, our children's and family ministries, and he talked to me about a person named Abby, Abby Henderson, who is currently overseeing the whole of the children's ministry worship, meaning that every week she organizes, plans, and executes children's ministry worship for our kids and she's a she's a high school student she and what's the heart behind it she wants to see the next generation impacted like she was at Walnut Hill she wants to use her gifts to glorify God and she wants to include her friends in the mission in fact she's been bringing her friends along for the journey she's even recruited her father I've heard to play some worship with her on a monthly basis you know another person that I'm proud of is my daughter. I've watched her grow up in the church and start by helping the kids a little bit to the point now where as a senior she's actually teaching the kids every single week in Waterbury. I wanted to highlight a few of our youth because I hope that it spurs us all on. When our young people are doing the things that we know we ought to be doing as adults, I think to me that spurs me on, I hope it does to you too. We should be setting the example for them. And many of you are. And in fact, in these cases, when I think about the Hendersons, that family serves together. And it has an impact. You know your own situation. And I know that when I'm speaking to a group of people in in a room these days, most of you are probably already very invested and involved. But don't check out, because the Lord can still speak to us, even when we're very invested and involved. I want to ask each of us to consider taking a step. If you've never served in the life of the church or found a place outside of church to serve, there are many opportunities like that. I think about mentoring for the Jericho Partnership, uh, young men and women who are at risk, just one opportunity that I know of. If you've never, take a step. Pray and ask the Lord to show you an opportunity. Sign up on that uh, online and let someone contact you and talk to you about it. We'd love to do that with you. We'd love to have that opportunity. If you've dipped your toe in, and what I would consider that is maybe you're an occasional uh, helper at the food pantry, for instance. Maybe you come every so often and help there, which is wonderful, glad that you do that. Go further than that. Find a place where you can start to impact lives even in in a greater way. Turn your monthly service into weekly service. We think about our, our week. I was thinking about what the challenge was. To serve weekly is not too much to ask for the kingdom of God, is it? I don't think it is. Consider what you might be able to, the impact you might be able to have for the sake of his kingdom in a child's life, in the youth department, helping us do what we do on a Sunday morning in some technical way, whether it be camera work or learning the soundboard or something like that. There's so many ways. If you dip your toe in, go deeper. Try to go deeper. And even if you've considered yourself highly invested, just pray, Lord, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right things? Am I using my gifts to the best of their ability? Could I, do, could I even do a bit more in some way? But let's make sure we're checking our hearts in the process. The passage I, I tend to come back to when I'm thinking about our, you know, checking my heart for why I wanna get out there and serve. Because sometimes we can do it in a self-serving way or to just feel good about ourselves. Those are kind of byproducts, not not bad byproducts, but we don't want that to be the heart of why we serve. I go to Ephesians 2, eight to 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Let's stop there. You do not earn your salvation, amen? It's been earned for you on the cross, so you don't have to earn your salvation. You don't come to serve to earn your salvation. Praise the Lord that that is not how it works. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So let's get going He created you for a relationship with him. He gave you certain gifts, strengths, abilities. He puts you on a mission to impact others. So it's time to discover those good things that he planned for you and to get going. It's time to step into service of the king. Amen? Thanks so much. It's been so good to share with you today.